Chapter Three of A Voyage to the South Sea. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Voyage to the South Sea by William Bly. Chapter Three. Passage towards the Cape of Good Hope and search after Tristan da Cunha. Arrival at False Bay. Occurrences there. Reports concerning the Grosvenor's people. Departure from the Cape. 1788, April, Friday 25. The westerly winds and stormy weather continuing gave me no reason to repent of my determination. On the 25th at noon we were in latitude 54 degrees 16 minutes south and longitude 57 degrees 4 minutes west. The nearest of the Falkland Islands, by my reckoning, then bore north 13 degrees west, distance 23 leagues. Our stock of water being sufficient to serve us to the Cape of Good Hope, I did not think it worth while to stop at these islands, as the refreshments we might obtain there would scarce repay us for the expense of time. We therefore continued our course towards the northeast and east-northeast. May Friday, 9. On the ninth of May, at eight o'clock in the evening, we were near the situation of Tristan da Cunha, our latitude being 37 degrees 7 minutes south, and longitude 15 degrees 26 minutes west. All the afternoon, the weather had been clear enough for land of a moderate height to be seen at at least seven leagues. I therefore concluded that we had not yet passed the meridian of the island, for the most westerly position given to it from any authority is fifteen degrees zero minutes west. As I wished to make this island, we kept our wind on different tacks during the night, that we might be nearly in the same place at daylight in the morning as on the preceding evening. In the morning, no land being in sight, we continued to steer to the eastward. Saturday, 10. We ran on all day having clear weather, but without seeing anything to indicate our being near land. At noon, our latitude observed was 37 degrees 27 minutes south, which being more to the southward than we had reason to expect, I altered the course to the northward and steered northeast all the afternoon. At six o'clock in the evening, we were in latitude 37 degrees 0 minutes south and longitude 12 degrees 42 minutes west, having a clear horizon but not the least sign of being in the neighborhood of land. With the night came thick rainy weather and we were now to the eastward of the situation ascribed to Tristan de Cunha. I therefore determined to give over the search and to resume our course towards the Cape of Good Hope. The island of Tristan de Cunha, by Robinson's elements, is laid down in 37 degrees 12 minutes south latitude and 13 degrees 23 minutes west longitude. In Captain Cook's general map, prefixed to his last voyage, it is placed at the same latitude but in 15 degrees west longitude. From our track and the clearness of the weather, I am convinced, if the latitude ascribed to it as above is correct, that it is not to be found between the meridians of 16 degrees 30 minutes west and 12 degrees 30 minutes west. On the 13th I had a number of lunar observations for the longitude, the mean of which agreed exactly with the timekeeper. 
Footnote. In Mr. Dalrymple's collection of plans, which I had not with me, the northernmost of the islands of Tristan da Acuna is placed in latitude 37 degrees 22 minutes south and longitude 13 degrees 17 minutes west. I think it probable we missed them by being too much to the northward. In this passage, the weather was generally so cloudy that I had few opportunities to make observations of any kind except for the noon latitudes. I could not determine when we crossed the line of no variation. The nearest two observations to it were, the first in 39 degrees 51 minutes south latitude and 26 degrees 11 minutes west longitude, where the variation of the compass was found to be 3 degrees 17 minutes east, and the other in latitude 35 degrees 30 minutes south and longitude 5 degrees 21 minutes west, where I observed the variation 11 degrees 35 minutes west. Between these we had no intermediate observations for the variation. Thursday, 22. At two in the afternoon we saw the Table Mountain of the Cape of Good Hope. As it is reckoned unsafe riding in Table Bay at this time of year, I steered for False Bay. The next evening we anchored in the outer part. Saturday, 24. And on the forenoon of the 24th got the ship secured in Simons Bay, which is in the inner part of False Bay. When moored, Noah's Ark bore south 35 degrees east three-quarters of a mile, and the hospital south 72 west. We found lying there, one outward-bound Dutch Indiaman, five other Dutch ships, and a French ship. After saluting the fort, which was returned by an equal number of guns, I went on shore and dispatches were sent away to Cape Town to acquaint the governor of our arrival. A Dutch ship at this time lying in Table Bay bound for Europe, I sent letters by her to the Admiralty. It is very unusual for ships to be in Table Bay so late in the year on account of the strong northwest winds. April is the time limited. I gave the necessary directions for getting our wants supplied. The ship required to be caulked in every part, for she was so leaky that we had been obliged to pump every hour in our passage from Cape Horn. This we immediately set about, as well as repairing our sails and rigging. The severe weather we had met with and the leakiness of the ship made it necessary to examine into the state of all the stores and provisions. Of the latter, a good deal was found damaged, particularly the bread. The timekeeper I took on shore to ascertain its rate, and other instruments to make the necessary astronomical observations. Fresh meat, with soft bread and plenty of vegetables, were issued daily to the ship's company the whole time we remained there. A few days after our arrival, I went over to Cape Town and waited on His Excellency, M. Van der Graaf, the governor, who obligingly arranged matters so much to our advantage that we scarcely felt the inconvenient of being at a distance from the Cape Town, whence we received all our supplies. The Cape Town is considerably increased within the last eight years. Its respectability with regard to strength has kept pace with its other enlargements and rendered it very secure against any attempt which is not made with considerable force. 
Great attention is paid to military order and discipline, and monthly signals are established to communicate with their shipping as they arrive near the coast that they might not run unawares into the hands of an enemy. I found everything much dearer than when I was here in 1780. Sheep cost four Spanish dollars each and were so small that it answered better to purchase the mutton for the ship's daily use at fourpence per pound. During our stay here I took care to procure seeds and plants that would be valuable at Otaheite and the different places we might touch at in our way thither. In this I was greatly assisted by Colonel Gordon, the commander of the troops. In company with this gentleman, the loss of the Grosnevere East Indiamen was mentioned. On this subject, Colonel Gordon expressed great concern that from anything he had said hopes were still entertained to flatter the affectionate wishes of the surviving friends of those unfortunate people. He said that in his travels into the Caffrey country, he had met with a native who described to him that there was a white woman among his countrymen who had a child, and that she frequently embraced the child and cried most violently. This was all he, the colonel, could understand, and being then on his return home with his health much impaired by fatigue, the only thing he could do was to make a friend of the native by presence and promises of reward on the condition that he would take a letter to this woman and bring him back an answer. Accordingly, he wrote letters in English, French, and Dutch, desiring that some sign or mark might be returned, either by writing with a burnt stick or by any means that she should be able to devise to satisfy him that she was there, and that on receiving such token from her every effort should be made to ensure her safety and escape. But the Caffrey, though apparently delighted with the commission which he had undertaken, never returned, nor has the colonel ever heard anything more of him, though he had been instructed in methods of conveying information through the Hottentot country. To this account, that I might not again have occasion to introduce so melancholy a subject, I shall add the little information I received respecting it when I revisited the Cape in my return towards Europe. A reputable farmer by the name of Hallhausen, who lives at Swellendam, eight miles' journey from the Cape, had information from some Caffrey Hottentots that a corral or village in their country there were white men and women. On this intelligence, Mr. Hallhausen asked permission of the governor to make an expedition with some of the farmers into the country, requiring a thousand rix dollars to bear his expenses. The governor referred him to Mr. Woke, the landros of Graft Renat, a new colony in his way. But from the place where Mr. Hallhausen lives to the landros, Mr. Woke's residence is a month's journey which he did not choose to undertake it in uncertainty, as Mr. Walk may have disapproved of the enterprise. It was in October last that Mr. Hullhausen offered to go on this service. He was one of the party who went along the sea coast in search of these unfortunate people when a few of them first made their appearance at the Cape. I am, however, informed that the Dutch farmers are fond of making expeditions into the country, that they may have opportunities of taking away cattle, and this I apprehend to be one of the chief reasons why undertakings of this kind are not encouraged.
on the thirteenth of june the dublin east indiamen arrived from england on board of which ship was a party of the seventy seventh regiment under the command of colonel balfour the result of my lunar observations gave for the longitude of simon's bay eighteen degrees forty eight minutes thirty four seconds east the latitude thirty four degrees eleven minutes thirty four seconds south the timekeeper likewise made the longitude eighteen degrees forty seven minutes east the longitude as established by former observations is eighteen degrees thirty three minutes east the variation of the compass on shore was twenty four degrees four minutes west but on board of the ship it was only twenty two degrees twenty eight minutes west the time of the high water was three quarters past two on the full and change and it then flowed six feet with respect to the cape promontory it lies about three miles east of the meridian of simonstown all the tables of latitude and longitude place the cape in thirty four degrees twenty nine minutes south latitude but from the many observations of it with good instruments i make it to lie in thirty four degrees twenty three minutes south which agrees with its situation as laid down in major reynolds map the part which i call the cape is the southernmost point of the land between table bay and false bay but the dutch consider the westernmost part of the coast to be the cape sunday twenty nine on the twenty ninth being ready for sea i took the timekeeper and instruments on board the error of the timekeeper was three thirty three seconds too too slow for the meantime at greenwich and its rate of going three seconds per day losing the thermometer during our stay here was from fifty one to sixty six degrees july tuesday one we had been thirty eight days at this place and my people had received all the advantages that could be derived from the refreshments of every kind that are here to be met with we sailed at four o'clock this afternoon and saluted the platform with thirteen guns as we ran out of the bay which were returned End of chapter three